Hello everyone and welcome to the Resilient Sessions, a podcast that brings together injured veterans from the charity Blesmad, the Limnus Veterans, and a well-known public figure to share their stories of overcoming struggle of all kinds. The podcast provides an opportunity for our guests to chat with each other and share these stories of adversity, challenges, and most importantly, focusing on how they overcome these hardships so we can learn from them. We hope you enjoy it. How are you both? Oh, I'm all right. Good. Yeah, yeah, are you yeah, yeah, really good. Thanks, Ray. Yeah, good. Yeah. And you two actually, you know each other, don't you? Well, we've met yeah. a couple of times, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think the first time was in Sully Oak, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, many, yeah. many years ago when yeah. I was first injured, yeah. yeah. So that was the old hospital yeah. in Birmingham yeah. where Defence Medicine was based, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, and then you came to Headley Court. Uh, Headley we met, Court, we met, yeah. We met there. Yeah, we'd done the whole thing. There. Yeah. I went all the way through there. Yeah, I was in rehabilitation. Yeah. I was in the prosthetics room being fitted for uh, a new leg. Yeah. And I was covered in plaster of Paris at the time. At the time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we always start the podcast with each guest introducing each other, if that's okay. Yeah, who do you want to go first? Ray, would you like to go first? Yeah, okay. This is Ken Bellringer. Otherwise known as Ding Dong. Right. <laughs> he joined the, the army and served with the Royal Logistic Corps as an ammunition technician. In 2009, whilst helping a colleague who had trapped his foot on an IED, Ken was injured in a blast, losing both his legs. And it was above the knee, wasn't it, Ken? Yeah, yeah, both of them, yeah. Yeah. He shattered his pelvis and badly wounded his arm and hands. After a lengthy recovery, Ken continued to serve for the British Army until, what was it, earlier this year? Yeah. He adapted to life with his injuries, focusing on his family, and began telling his story in schools in 2016. Thank you, and thank you, Ray. I look forward to finding out more about you, Ken. So now, Ken, would you like to introduce Ray? This is the famous Ray Winston, or shall I say the infamous... He was born in Hackney Hospital in February 1957 and spent the early years of his life playing on the bomb sites of Plasto. Yeah, Plasto. Yeah, Get that right. It's the posh bit. Yeah. At the age of eight, his family moved him up the A10 to the cultural wasteland of Enfield. Mm. From that moment on, Ray was constantly looking for ways to get back home to the East End. From banging up on his dad's market stalls? What's that? Right? Banging up when you're shitting out two pounds for two bob large. Oh, got you, yeah, yeah. Do not squeeze yeah. me till I'm yours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I miss all that. I come from a market town. So oh, well, yeah. I miss yeah. that. Yeah. I actually had a job on a, a free yeah. store. Did you? Well. I did. So he's banging up on his dad's market stalls to yeah. winning 80 out of 88 bouts as a three-time London schoolboy boxing champion for Bethnal Green's famous Repton Club. Yeah, that's right. That's, yeah. A, hell of a, yeah. that's a hell of an achievement, Ray. That was an education, actually. Uh, it's, a, it's a funny thing with boxing, you know. It's a team. Yeah. You get there and you support your boys. So you, you kind of you meet people from all different walks of life, and it starts to set you up for the rest of your life. Yeah. The way you conduct yourself with other people, and that, yeah. you know. And uh, it's a channel. You can channel you whatever you're th- feeling and whatever you're thinking into uh, into something that's good. Anyone who climbs through the ropes will respect the other man, you know. And it's it's a great thing, really. Everyone just thinks about boxing as being a, a violent uh, sport. You know, I mean, it's, it's I, a uh, when I, at a very young age, I, I did a little bit of boxing training. Yeah. I got hit in the face a few times. I thought, well, I can't bite or kick them back, so I, <laughs> I gave that up. Um, I'm rubbish at fighting. Having achieved the rare distinction of being suspended from nursery school, how did you manage that? Oh, I don't, I don't, it wasn't me. 
<laughs> wasn't my fault. I'm innocent. I'll take the fifth on it. He was asked to leave a series of educational establishments, including Drama College. Yeah. That didn't do you any harm, did it? No, it didn't. <laughs> Before finally graduating with first-class honours from the University of Life. You've done all right for yourself, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, but there was, there was you know, there's times in your life when you actually, um, I don't know, you, you, you question yourself. Um, you have doubts about your own ability, and I still do to this day, I guess, in a way. It's... Um, but it's that thing of climbing through the ropes and looking across the ring and knowing that you can't win that fight, but you've got to dig deep and yeah. draw something up inside you to, you know, at least come close. Self-doubt can be such a tricky emotion to navigate. If you're not careful, it can really stop, stop you in your tracks. And I know in my own life, I've at times had to have a real word with myself and dig deep, but you've just got to keep going, Ray, as you say. But from what you've said, it sounds like boxing has given you the principle, the, the values to your to your life. I believe I, I believe it all comes from boxing. It's not just just me. I, I still I still meet up with the boys that I box with yeah. on all levels mm. uh, from my club at least once a year. Mm. But once a year, we all kind of try and get together, and is there still that respect? And everyone does something different. You know, some people work in the city. Some people, you know, work on market stalls. Some people are not working. But is a is a uh, is is a leveller. Yeah, I think there are lots of similarities between the values that you've taken from boxing and those that you will have gained from the military. Ken, that sense of camaraderie, respect for others. You know, people coming from all walks of life, and also that discipline. Would you say that those military principles have helped you deal with the challenges you've had to face? Yeah, absolutely. It's not just the physical injuries that I've, I've had to deal with and get through. It's uh, it's the massive changes and the 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 mental side of things and the, the fear unknown. And um, a lot of those things that I've picked up in the military have certainly helped with that. When I think it's getting over the fear because I was frightened every fight I had. It's going into the unknown. And, uh, it's, it's a healthy it's, fear, though, isn't it? I mean, it's a healthy fear. It, 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 the healthy fear is trying to get over the fear. Yeah. You know? I remember I used to be terrified of the dark, and I sat downstairs one night, turned all the lights off when I was a kid, and sat in the middle of the room all night in the dark mm. to try and beat it. Never really? beat it. I'm still scared of the dark. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just trying to overcome something. Yeah. So, Ken, you had a great career in the Army, and it, mm-hmm. it took you all over the world... And then you found yourself in 2009 out in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what, what you were doing out there? Uh, my job in Afghanistan um, was to make safe the Taliban bombs. Um, okay. the, the, the Taliban were the enemy that we were, we were fighting over there. And they would, they would place bombs out to try and kill British forces. Okay, so you were part of the, is it a bomb disposal team? Yeah, yeah, bomb disposal team. I would lead a bomb disposal team and I would actually be um, one of the people who uh, walked down the, the road or the track as it was in Afghanistan and and, and I would deal with the, the bomb that was there. And what was it like being out in Afghanistan? Was it like anything you'd ever experienced before? No, I'd been on operations to Northern Ireland and and Iraq uh, and, and other places, but Afghanistan was was very unique. It was extremely hot. We lived in arduous conditions, and it really tested soldiering skills that I'd learnt over the years. Um, and every time you left a safe location, it was physically uh, and mentally. Um, 
challenging and uh, I always used to say that when you got back to safe location and you could take your body armour off and you could relax you really had earned your day over there. Okay and so on a daily basis were you proactively looking for these bombs these IEDs improvised explosive devices or was it more of a kind of reactive thing or how did it work? Um, Sometimes it was reactive patrols would go out from the units over there and they would find a device and then they would call us in and we would fly in, um, deal with the device, and go on from there. And then sometimes we were embedded with units, and they might have to clear a whole route, say, for a supply run or to set up a new base, and we would be proactive in that way in making sure the area was safe. So an incredibly dangerous job. Uh, Lots of dangerous jobs out there. I I always say... You know, I was just well trained, and and also I'm not doing this by myself. I have a a fantastic team of searchers and advisors that I that I that I work with. Yes, I might be the person who ultimately walks up to that device, but it's taken lots of other people to to get me there. It really is a massive team effort. Okay, so can you tell us what happened in that year you were out there on the fifteenth of November? Well, we'd been there about four months um, we'd got used to being out on the ground uh, the search team that, that I worked with were experienced they'd done a lot of jobs before and done a lot of searching and the day went like many others but without being complacent and we searched along a track and uh, a member of my team he he stood on a device but on this occasion it didn't explode okay but he couldn't move he was stuck as I'm preparing to move him, there's a more mighty explosion. And then it, it just it, it goes all Hollywood. Yeah, it goes yeah. all really slow motion. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm flying through the air. There's a big boom and then there's a big singing in my ears. And I do remember thinking, this is going to hurt when I land. And when I landed, it just knocked all the wind out of me. And I'm laying there with my arms up here and my, my eyes are tightly shut. And I'm thinking, uh, I'm all alone. And my helmet's come off and it's choking me. And I, and I and I felt someone beside me and, and, and I was like, get the helmet off. And he got the helmet off. And then he went really quiet. Suddenly I'm thinking, he's in shock. So how do you deal with shock? Reassure someone. Warmth, reassurance. Well, there's plenty of warmth. That's all right. Reassure someone. And I'm saying, yeah, everything's going to be all right. Just, you know, don't panic. Things are going to be fine. And when I reflected on that, he's probably looking at me and going... Oh, you ain't yeah. going to be fine. Yeah. And, that, and that was it. And then they, they, they got me, they carried me up this hill, they got me to the helicopter. And and what I always take from that day is, that is probably one of the most serious situations that, that a person can be in. Uh, and they described my injuries as the most severe injuries that they'd managed to save. So their skill was phenomenal. And, yeah, I was in the army, and I was I was nearly killed by a bomb doing the job of the army. But I'm also alive because I was in the army, yes. because I had exceptional people the medical, around the me. Medical, uh, med, yeah. They're, they're the, unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely unbelievable, fantastic. And I'm very, very lucky. That's the way I see it, that I am a very, very lucky person. How was your, your mate? Killed, you, unfortunately. Lauren was, was, Lauren was killed. Lauren was thrown into the river. Yeah. And he was actually found by a US Navy dive team. He was about 300 metres downstream mm. uh, in the river, but, but unfortunately, unfortunately dead. And, you know, the way I live my life is because of people like Lauren and I have other good friends who were killed over there, their family would swap with me tomorrow to have their loved one back 
regardless of the injuries yeah. and be thankful for yeah. it. So I have to be thankful for for what I've got and that's where I feel very lucky. Yeah. But that's just such an amazing attitude to have. And even in that moment when you'd been blown up, you were still worrying about other people. <laughs> and Ray, you've actually been out to Afghanistan, haven't you, to visit the troops? Do you know, do you know the thing is, um, it's, it's kind of... Because going there changed my life and I was only there for a week. I, I went out there with uh, friends of mine, Wing Commander, Sean Rolls, and um, I was invited by the boys in a naffy one night, drunk with them all, and they said, you want to come out there? I went, yeah, of course, I'll come out there. <laughs> Next thing I know, I'm on a plane from Prize Norton. So you get there, and I had a week there. I uh, went on patrols and met all the boys, your, your team yeah, yeah. and all that. And I came back after a week, and I felt useless. In I actually felt, in the sense that, uh, what do I do? What have I got to moan about in right. life? The problems that I have in my life are nothing. Right. And I came back on a plane with the injured. I went to Solioka, went to rehabilitation. Mm. And I came home feeling that I wanted to go back. I'm not surprised that you felt like that, Ray. That experience that you must have had in such a short space of time, it clearly had a life-changing impact on you. And I think particularly coming back on on a plane with those who are injured and seeing them at the most vulnerable. Um, Ken, you know, Ray's spoken about coming back on that plane, going to hospital and then rehab, which must have been the start of your journey. But how do you even begin to deal with it? Well, it's a, it's a massive thing to deal with and it's very overwhelming. <laughs> I suppose the one bonus I had was I had a lot of lot of time to to think and and work things out and uh one of the things we always had in the army was we'd sit around with a brew and we'd sort a lot of problems out and i kind of like just just adopted that talking to people just really really helped you know whether i was talking to doctors or nurses um or or people who came to to visit me i found it just really helped it's Changed with our generation a little bit because our fathers were very Victorian in a good way. Yeah, I mean, I loved yeah. my dad. You loved your yeah, dad, yeah, and they loved you. Yeah. But it, it weren't you couldn't actually sit down with them and have a chat about you know about I've had a bad day, dad, and you know and uh, you know I've met this girl that I love, and, and you couldn't say, talk to dad about things like that, you know. But I don't know whether it's because of what we've been, been into and the people we've met in our generation. And maybe our generation's fought against that a little bit. That we're a little bit more open about having a chat, just to chat about things yeah. like this. Because you didn't have that love. choice when yeah, you were younger. Yeah, it never happened when I was a kid. We were coming out of the Second World War, and it was yes. Victorian. We hadn't moved on from the Victorian times in a way, you know. Yeah. It was still that kind of stiff upper lip, and you know. We're and it wasn't a done thing. No. And there is a real like seismic change that people are yeah. talking more, and yeah. and we're seeing the benefits of it, and why it's so important to be honest, to tell your stories, yeah. and. There are some things I talk to my kids. I do feel uncomfortable, but yeah. I force myself to, to do, do it. it. And I because think, I go, I wish my dad had talked to me yeah, like yeah, that. But yeah, do you yeah. think that's kind of like something that we've learned from not being able to do that with our dads? I of, think so. One thing yeah. that I found harder was, was all the tours I'd done, Northern Ireland, Iraq, and things like that, I'd gone and I dealt with it. Afghanistan was a different kettle of fish yeah. for me. And I remember I went for a pint with my dad, and I really wanted to talk to him about Afghanistan. I was trying to find the moment. I was trying to lead into it. And he was moving away from it. He didn't want to talk about it, and that was quite obvious. And that 
really hurt me. Yeah. The, 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 okay. it, oh, it, it was his way of dealing with it. He, he didn't want to talk about it, but I needed to talk to him about it as an old soldier himself. Yeah, I needed to have that discussion because there wasn't many people that I could have that discussion with. And, and I found that really, really difficult. And it kind of like makes me go, right, I, I, whatever this situation is, I will have these uncomfortable... I will always try for my kids rather than... You know, I don't want to do that. It feels it feels difficult, yeah. and 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 that's it. You know. Do you feel the same with your girls? Because you're also a grandpa. Yeah, you? it's it's kind of weird. Things changed for me. Uh, I think when my my mum was dying of cancer, and uh, and that was at quite a young age. She was fifty two. I was twenty eight. She was in a coma, and I got to the hospital for the visit, and she'd come out of the coma. Cancer is a very cruel disease in a way. It gives you hope, and then whacks you. You know, but in the hour that I was there on my own with her. She opened up and she talked to me about my dad, about things that needed to be done, and and it was such a relief for me, such a release that I actually got the time to talk to my mum before she died. And although I, it took me a year to get over that, mm. over the whole thing, I'm not over it, but I, I didn't realise that I was kind of, I had a little bit of a breakdown. When you have a little bit of a breakdown, I think you don't know it. I think everyone else knows it, but no one talks to you about it, you know. And you know, and I, I was quite angry. And you and know, when was uh, this? Within the year after your mum yeah, died? Yeah, this is year on, and uh, I was very short fused. Okay. With people, you know, I wouldn't stand for anyone. Just you know, really horrible. angry with everyone. Yeah, it got horrible, really okay. horrible, you know. And and I remember driving back one day from Bristol, and the sun was setting behind me, and I I just caught it in the mirror. And I had to pull up when I broke down, and it seemed to release everything. It you never forget, and you, 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 it hurts. But that kind of thing of um, just having that time with her taught me a lot. I think about opening up and and How having amazing. a chat with my girls. Yeah, that you had that. that it's, time. it's like I mean... it's like she woke up just to talk, you know, and then a couple of days, boom, gone, you know. But there you go. But that time just is with you. Absolutely. It meant everything because she told me things about my dad. She talked about my dad in a way which was quite beautiful and told me about things that needed to be done that dad wouldn't have done, <laughs> you know, just so we got that all sorted out. So even though, I mean, it's quite a human thing in a way, you know, mm. uh, she knows she's going, but she wants to make sure everything's in the right place for everyone else. Yes. You know, it makes me very proud of her. In a way, you know, so and I needed that. So, yeah, I, I, and I think the thing about depression and things like that is, I don't think you know it, it's happening to you sometimes, no. you know. Everyone around you, as you said, knows yeah, yeah, and no. is aware. Yeah. Because some of the veterans have told me they have this sort of this light bulb moment. Yeah. They're in a you know really bad situation, they're, but they just sort of suddenly, I know the way I'm going to move forward. Yeah. So that time in Bristol when that the sunlight was in your wing mirror, yeah. is that your kind of... Yeah, it just kind of hit me. Uh, uh, I like it sounds really dramatic, you know. No, I've but... I've been an actor, you know, I can't help. Me. But it was... I was great because it was a release. Mm, you just allowed yourself oh, man, to feel. Yeah. And I must have been there 10 minutes just... And I hadn't cried. Hmm. I hadn't cried at all for a year. Wow. You know? Just you, anger. Yeah. You know? Did you find, once you'd, you'd done that, did you recognise at that point that mentally but there was, there was right. something going on? Yeah, I think so. That, 
since then, have you had any times where you've gone, well, I'm, I'm disappearing down this hole a bit, recognised it and found a way oh, to, yeah. to deal with it? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, I, I, I found yeah. that as well. One of the hardest things I, I find hard is going out and actually doing something. Sometimes it's just easy to just stay in and that. And what I find is go, well, I've got nothing to do. I'd lie on my bed. I'd lie on my bed with my iPad in front of me. Yeah. And eventually I'll be going... I recognise myself, right, I'm, I'm disappearing down a hole here. I've yeah, got to get and do something. Got to, you know, and, and the first time I didn't really realise it, it was happening. And, and Chris, my wife, said to me, he said, you're depressed, we've got to go and do something. We've got that. And fortunately from then, I, I, I've learnt to recognise that a little bit and go, right, yeah. I've got to do this, that's happening. I've got to do this, even if I really, really don't want to do it. I really have to force myself to do it because I know what the consequences are. Yeah. But that first time is really, yeah. really hard. Yeah. And you don't like talking about yeah. it. You're like, I'm a bloke, I'm this, I've got this. You've got this internal persona of yeah. yourself. Yeah. And I, I, just, I just found I didn't want to admit that. And it was really hard to... I know that. when I've had down moments, I get really angry I don't want to be, I don't want to feel like this. Yeah. And it's annoying because, you know, I, yeah. I do. So I need yeah. to go and get help. Yeah. Well, the trouble but is it's... you think, you know, um, I get really grumpy. And you really? think, oh, well, I'm, I'm, an old, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm an old man. It's what old men do, it? They moan about everything. And they, that's a different thing. But uh, you can feel, you, as you said, you just feel yourself getting, everything kind of getting on top of you. You know, there's always someone in your ear. Someone wants this. Someone needs that needs to be done. You need to go, and, and it, you go. Why don't you just leave me alone for ten minutes? Yeah. Just go away. Leave me alone for ten minutes, and you realise that you're just falling into that hole again. Mm, you're at capacity. And you do, and you're right. You feel like you just want to sit on the seat, watch the telly in a darkened room, and you go. You got to say to yourself, I need to go out. I need to go out and do something. And it's interesting that both of you have said that it was family that have helped you. you it's funny that I, I was just talking to my mum last last night and she's in her 70s and um, we were having this chat and she'd gone outside and then she'd got this big metal gate and she'd gone to open it and it had fallen off its hinges. <laughs> she's all right, she's all right. But we're having a chat, we're having a chat and, I, and we're having this and I'm like thinking, well... If I, if you know, if it was my old self before I was injured, I'd been around there, a bit, you know, bit of cement, remount it, job, job done. And I was saying, I'm really sorry, Mum. I'm, I'm just, you know, there's not much I can do for you. I feel really useless. Yeah. What I'll do is, I know someone who'll come out and do it. I'll sort it all out. I'll yeah. pay for it. And she, she's telling me off. She's going, you're not useless because you survived. You're still here. You're still my son. And that's a, and that's 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 the thing. And I got thinking. About how I am as a dad and, and, and my two, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of like get it, but I still feel useless. <laughs> you know, it's strange. It's lovely though that mm. however old you are, you still your mum's son. That's it, regardless. And she recognises yeah. the massive journey yeah. that you've been on. And actually, being able to fix a gate doesn't matter, but I can imagine, I, I don't know, but I can imagine that you fi clearly yeah. find that quite hard yeah. to see. And it does, it's little things like that that come back and. You know, just just gives you a bit of a slap in the face, and you think, "Oof!" You know, you've got to get over that. You've got to go right. That is that is no longer the case. This is my life now. But clearly, your children, your family, have had such a massive impact on you and really supported you. Well, yeah, it gives you a reason to live. I mean, you're you're a mum yourself. You, you know, and lots of people are parents out there. 
and they'll understand what what it means. You, you kind of like you live for your kids. It gives you purpose. You might want to strangle them one day, but you, you know I it's unconditional. It's unconditional love, isn't it? And I suppose that's what my mum was saying to me. Um, it doesn't matter how useless I feel. She doesn't find me. She doesn't think of me useless. She's just glad that I'm here. And my kids aren't useless. They're they're great. But I do know that if they were useless, I'd love them regardless. <laughs> so to you both, Ray first, what do you think um, your family would say about you if they were here now? What, in front of us? I, I, I think um, I know my kids love me. Yes. And I couldn't ask for anything more than that. So, you know, they love me as much as I love them. So, so it's fine. I think they'd be incredibly There's proud. special moments. That's um, what you've got to think of when it's all going pear-shaped. Yeah. The, you know? the, I was injured on November the 15th, and it's also a, a, a difficult time for me anyway because it's all about remembrance and things like yeah. that. And I was there, and I just tried grind through the days in and around that, that day. And I was sat there at the, the table, and the telly's off in the background, and I'm not really thinking about anything. I'm just staring at the distance. And I just start crying. I just start crying. Yeah. And my son came in, he's 15 years old, you're not a 15-year-old boy, yeah, so yeah. Long, you know. <laughs> and he just, he's just, you're right, Dad, and he just, just gave me a big hug. And to get that from ah. your 15-year-old boy, that yeah. was... That's, that's, that's sweet, it. isn't it? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Everything's yeah. going to be all right. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I've got my son here, and I've got my daughter, and I've got my wife, and I've got people who care about me. Yeah. And, that, and I knew it was a moment. And I shouldn't be ashamed for feeling like that at that time to get through it, and we were just going to be able to mm. get on. And clearly your son thinks the absolute world of you and it's so strong of you to be that honest and brave when I can imagine it was actually really hard to show your vulnerability in, in front of your son as a man and kind of a father. Mm. And I just think that must have had such a positive impact on your children, that you're honest about your mental health, you're honest how you feel and you're not indestructible and you're human. Um, and I just think that's such a beautiful story that you drew strength from your son and you know it wasn't the other way around mm -hmm. um ken i mean you've spoken to me before about how important it is using your voice what do you mean by that well i was an extremely fit soldier i was doing a job that i absolutely loved and uh, dealing with the, the bombs that helped save people's lives and then suddenly i'm injured that's all taken away from me and i'm lying there looking back and feeling very depressed um, about what's happened to me. The only thing I've got left is is my voice and my mind, I suppose. And fortunately, through yourself and, and, and everything, I've learned to use them to, to help people. So I don't have to deal with them bombs to help people anymore. I can use my voice to help people as well. And I get same sense of satisfaction as I did before and it gives me a purpose to keep going on it gives me a reason to get up in the morning and why do you feel it's so important to tell your story it's not so much about the content of the the story uh and in, in some ways it's probably not the best story for people to hear because I don't want them to think oh that guy's lost his legs and this has happened. What's happened to me? I'm being bullied or I'm having a bad day at work. That's not important. That is important. That is very important because that's life is all about enjoyment. One thing I have learned with this is you've got to get the best out of life. You've got to try and enjoy life. And if, if, if that important thing is your family or it's your work or, or anything like that, 
that's what your goal is. And if something's stopping you, if something's upsetting you or making it difficult, that's an adversity. And that's what we've got to get over that so we can get to the enjoyment bit. And it's how we deal with that. And, you know, it's not easy. You just need, you need a way and a way that works for you. And there are many different ways of doing that. We're just hoping by talking, someone might say, actually, they might talk within their little group Mm. and they might start disclosing things and then it gets that little bit easier to just just to start talking and ray i was going to say to you you've spoken a lot you're very passionate about people being confident to go and talk and use their yeah. voice yeah. why are you so because passionate about that it's something that i've I kind of come to terms with as i've i've got older i guess um i always found it very difficult walking into a room anyway um you know i always felt a little bit like i shouldn't be there Okay. You know, especially in the business that I'm in, you know. So what, when you were younger or do you yeah, still Yeah, when I first came like in, it was because I didn't speak the Queen's English. And, okay. You know, it was, you know, especially in the theatre, it was quite snobby in the theatre. Or I thought it was. But okay. there was a kind of inverted snobbery involved in that as well because I've worked in the theatre and I've been treated so well and had such a great time. It's, it's, it was something that was in my head. Right. It wasn't there, if you understand yeah. what I mean. So I kind of... You kind of invent this persona and you go, it's the same as getting in a boxing ring, you know, you just put your chest out, you walk in. And what happens then is uh, Elaine says, why are you looking so angry when you walk in the room? You know, and I said, well, no one wants to talk. Of course they don't want to talk to you. You look like you want to kill everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's your persona. Well, you know, you, so you walk in right hard. Like, okay. You know, and, like, and no one would want to talk to you anyway because they thought you was a raving lunatic. So... <laughs> So then you have to come to terms with it, you have to try and calm that down. <laughs> but it was quite a thing for me because something in me, and it was all my problem. That's, I mean, that's so amazing to hear that yeah. someone like you, who's this, you know, seemingly tough it's not guy, easy. confident. It's not, it's and not easy. It's, it, it's not easy. I mean, I think for anyone who's suffering from nerves or a lack of confidence, then remember that even Ray Winstone gets nervous. And mm-hmm. but perhaps don't use his technique. <laughs> so, Ken, when you're in one of your, let's say, your darkest moments, mm-hmm. where do you find your strength to move forward? Oh, it's 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 strange. When you talked about Cy earlier on, you mentioned how busy it is during the day. It is, and people come in and you, you kind of like go, right, uh, I need to entertain this person. They've come to see me, I need to entertain them. And it, it, you're knackered. But we also talked about bringing the kids in to see me. And it was like, no, we can't yet. Wait until wait until I'm a bit better. Wait until I'm a bit better. I don't want to see you like this. My kids were six and ten at the time. And eventually one day I just had a little bit of a breakdown. I said, I, I really need to see the kids. Uh, you know, you think it'll be all right? You think they'll be able to do this? And apparently I didn't realise, and I was told this from me later, when my kids came in, it was kind of like everyone, all the nurses, and I was saying, Ken's kids are coming in today. Ken's kids are coming in. When my kids come in, they had to walk all the way through this ward, yeah. We were in the very end bay, bay, right. yeah, bay yeah, six. Yeah. That's walk all the way everywhere. through, yeah. And it just all went quiet as they went by. Yeah. And it was and it was kind of like a really, it was a hell of a moment and that they 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 did that. And I just wanted to cry, but I had to be a dad. And they came in, and little Harry's only six, and Neve's only ten. And they, you can see in their faces, they're destroyed by it. This is absolutely destroyed. They're very uncomfortable. They don't know how to yeah. deal with this. It's a big moment for a minute. And in the end, I just said, listen, I've not got any legs, yeah. but I'm still I'm still here and I'm still your dad. And yeah. that's all that's important. Yeah. We will be all right. And, and one of the little things I always say to me is, 
no matter how hard things are, keep going. Keep pushing on because you only fail when you give up. Absolutely. You found the strength you needed from your children and your role as being a dad. And Ray, you know, in Ken's words, how do you keep going, keep pushing on when you've had challenging times? What's your biggest source of strength? It's family. Of course it is. I mean, it's it's changed over the years. Mm. Um, I've never been ambitious in in the fact that I, I wanted to be a film star. I mean, that really just happened by chance. I've got a work ethic. I, I, I actually, from being a young kid, I'd always be at work with my dad at weekends and then when I got to 15, 16, I'd be working in the markets. I always had a, I was always out up early in the morning going to work. And I, and I kind of, to say you enjoy going to work, I, yeah, I guess that's the right word. I like going to work. It gives me a, a pride, you know, that, you know, I I can look and feed my family, and I can look after them, and I can give them the things that in life that I want to give them, and they might need, and I'm proud of that. You know, but I think my ambitions changed when I had my first child, my my Lois, and then I had my two other girls, and uh, and for me then I, I needed to go to work, and it really upped my game because if I was going to do it, I was going to do it properly. We're very lucky, but I think we're both very lucky that we have family. Yeah, we, 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 absolutely. We, I'm just a bit conscious. Some of the people that we're trying to, you know, trying to help here, trying to reach yeah. out to, they a, don't have that. They they, they don't have. They're young, not in that fortunate guys, position. Yeah. But you also talked about earlier where you come together so often. You have that co- comfortable atmosphere, atmosphere yeah. where people, friends that you've known for years, yeah. and you can come back to, yeah. and you're not Ray the movie star. You yeah. just. You just Ray, just the, the, the novice you know, boxer. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, and that you, you're Ray. They knew about you're Ray yeah. from the East End. Yeah. That's what they know. Yes. Yeah. So I'm very, very lucky in that respect that I have those people that I've been able to trust and and talk to them and be able to say this is what's really bothering me and do that. And it's I think that's the important thing. If you've got someone to talk to, then. You know, if you've got friends, you're yeah. very lucky. There are yeah. some people who are very, very alone yeah. who who don't have that ability. Don't have that backup, but yeah. there are lots of people yeah. out there who who help. So, how have friends helped you, Ken? One of the big things that bothered me was my job was to dispose of bombs safely. The last job I did, I didn't dispose of that bomb. So I'm thinking, I've I've messed up here. What have I done wrong? How can I deal with? What other way could I've done? Could I've dealt with that safely? And, it's, and it had always bothered me. It really, really hurt me, and I felt ashamed. And it was very, very difficult to 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 deal with that in my head. And I was talking to this one guy, and and I told him the story. I told him what had happened, and I just went, "I cannot think of anything else I could have could have done." And he said to me, "He said, no decision that you made would feel right to you, but you can't deal with that. We can't even make that into a training task yeah, because right. you can't deal with it. Right. It's an impossible job. And what you did." was the right thing to do. The fact that he said that now allows me to move on. I've now dealt yeah. with that. I, yeah. I don't feel ashamed anymore. I, yeah. I went, I dealt with that as best we can. It was war. And I also think what you've just said there, Ken, is that you have accepted, you found your mm. peace, so you are able to move on. And I think whatever happens to us as individuals, you know, if something's extreme as stepping on a bomb and it blowing up and you becoming injured or you know your mother passing away at an early age it's however long it takes eventually when that acceptance comes you'll never totally forget or you're not that same person again but you're able to move forward 
anger just takes up so much energy. I've never oh, understood God, yeah. anger. There's a thing in Scum I remember years ago. I forget the figures, but is on a matchbox. Archer says it on a matchbox. It takes. 53 muscles to frown and only 16 to smile, so why yeah. waste energy? So smiling is the way forward then. Yeah. Yeah. So what's it been like having a chat today and speaking to each other? What have you got oh, out me, of this? For me, it's like a release. Something like this for me is... Because you never know what you're going to get. You never know what someone else is going to say and or what their problems are or or whatever. But I, I quite like it because it makes... I feel really mellow now. Mm. I came in like a raving lunatic. <laughs> and I, I didn't I, like I actually say. feel I actually feel I mean it's needless to say the respect I have for Ken anyway, you know, and for you, Alice, you know, but but I um I, I feel really chilled. Yeah, we should do this every yeah, day. Yeah, love oh, it. I, I feel the same. When everything was setting up, you know, I've really been looking forward to this. I've really been looking, and it's an experience in itself and as much as we're you know, as much as we we're, we're doing this, you know, to hopefully encourage people to to find ways of dealing with whatever problems they're facing, to make yeah. people more resilient, yeah. to help people, it helps uh, helps me helps, as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, absolutely. It's it's, it's, yeah. it's massive. Hopefully, this thing will be contagious, and people will go, "Well, actually, that's, we'll sit down and have a that's, chat." That's, that's what it absolutely. is. Absolutely. You know, that's 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 the message, really. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. It's great. Yeah. You can have a chat yeah. with anyone. Well, I want to say thank you both so much for being here, and as you say, Ray, having a chat. Everyone, Ray Winstone and Ken Bellringer. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alice. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Thank you to everyone in our production team. This podcast was generously funded by Blesma, the Limbless Veterans Charity, delivered by The Drive Project, supported by OpenReach, and presented by me, Alice Driver, creator of the Making Generation R campaign. Huge thanks go to Cy Harmer, whose idea lit the torch paper of this podcast, and to you for listening. If you've been affected by any of the issues discussed, then please take a look at our webpage or show notes where you'll be able to find more information on support services. Should you like to listen to any of our veterans' incredible stories, they are available as part of this podcast series. The Resilient Sessions grew out of the Making Generation R campaign, a project that trains injured veterans from Blesma to tell their stories, so far to over 100,000 people, from the young and vulnerable to frontline services and first responders across the UK. To find out more about Making Generation R and to book a free talk and workshop if you're a school, just Google Making Generation R. If you'd enjoyed listening today, then please do subscribe, give us a five-star review and share it with your family and friends. You never know who it might help.